Vietnamese. He was shot down and then captured by the Vietnamese, and he went into a prison, prisoner of war camp, where he was held until 1973. He was an admiral. He was tortured over 20 times. Now, after he got out, of course, in 1973, was several, and by the way, many people didn't. Many people died in, in those prison camps. Not everybody who went in came out. Some died. After he got out, and they wanted to know how it is that a man, of course, as an admiral, he was an older man, how it is that he was able to survive for all those years and all those tortures, he was interviewed by a man named Jim Collins, and this is what he said right here. I never lost faith in the end of the story, he said. I never doubted not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the defining event of my life, which in retrospect, I would not trade. Amazing. He knew he'd get out. He just knew he'd get out. They were asked, they asked him one time, okay, um, not everybody survived. Who was the least likely to survive? Who were the ones that they went in there and probably they didn't survive? They had the lowest survival rate. Do you know, do you know who it was? Anybody have any idea? Is the optimists. The optimists almost always died. Because they came in and they said, we'll be out by Christmas. I have faith that we'll be out by Christmas. And Christmas would come and go and they weren't out. That's okay. We will be out by Easter. We'll be out by Easter. I know we will. Easter would come and go and they weren't out. And at some point, the optimists gave up and died from a broken heart. And Jim Stockdale said to the interviewer, he said, here it is, this is a very important lesson. You must never confuse faith that you, that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. Okay, look one more time. He said, this is what's really important. This is a very important lesson. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end. I'm going to get through this, which you can't afford to lose. If you lose that, you die. With the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality. And from his captivity, we have developed this. It's actually called the Stockdale Paradox. You can put this in a search engine, and you're going to find everything about Jim Stockdale and the Stockdale Paradox. And here's what the Stockdale Paradox teaches us. Ready? You must retain faith that you will prevail in the end regardless of the difficulties and at the same time you must confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. One more time. You must retain faith that you will prevail in the end regardless of the difficulties and at the same time you must confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. Be. That is the Stockdale paradox that says, I know I'm going to get through it, but it's going to be tough, and I'm going to have lots of struggles, and there's no way around that. It's going to hurt, but I will prevail. That's how he got through eight years of captivity. I'm going to get out. I know I'm going to get out, but between now and then, it's going to be rough. It's going to be hell on earth, but I will make it. Now, we call that the Stockdale paradox, but God long ago came up with an entirely different biblical word to describe the Stockdale Paradox. It's a four-letter word. Anybody want to guess what it is? Here it is. The word hope. This is what the Bible means by the word. Now, it's not what we mean by hope, but we'll talk about that in just a moment. This is what the Bible means by the word hope. Right now, we're in the middle of a series that's called this. Here we are. 
Three little words, faith, hope, and love, words that define us, okay? In other words, these are the three words. If people say, well, what Christianity is all about? Well, Christianity is about faith, hope, and love. How do you live? Well, it's faith, hope, and love. What defines you? Faith, hope, and love. This is it. It's not about your spiritual gifting. It's not about what you do and you don't do. It isn't about the fact of whether you smoke or you drink or you dance or you don't dance or all those kind of nonsensical things that we used to talk about. Christian faith is about three things, faith, hope, and love. It's based on this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 when Paul is writing to the church of Corinth and they're trying to define their whole life through spiritual gifts and who's better because this guy speaks in tongues or this guy preaches or whatever. Paul says, you got it all wrong. He says, in the very end, there's only three things that define who you are, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is, which we'll start talking about next week. So the first couple of weeks, we were talking about faith. And here's what we learned. First of all, faith starts me on the journey. We're into your sermon notes now if you want to be taking notes. Faith starts me on the journey. Here's where we start. Every single person is going to start with faith. You can't come into the middle of the story. You have to start with faith. In the last two weeks, we saw these things about, well, this is, uh, this is what the scripture says, by the way, right here. Take a look at this one. Take a look at this passage. It's impossible to please God apart from faith. And why? Because anyone who wants to approach God must believe that he exists and that he cares enough to respond to those who seek him. If you don't have faith, you haven't even started the journey. You can't start the journey without faith. You have to believe that he even exists to begin to walk with him. Faith starts us on the journey. Now, this is what we've learned so far. Ready? Remember this. The quality of my faith determines the quality of my life. What we mean by that is people who have no faith have no life. Existence, no life. Most of us have little faith. Jesus would look at us and say, oh, ye of little faith. Now, we have faith, and we're in a relationship with God, and it's wonderful, and our name's written in the book of, of life, and, but our, we have far more worry than we need, and we have a lot more fear than we need, and we fail a bit more than we, than we should because our faith isn't huge. It's little. We're people of little faith. That's what Jesus called most people. If you're a person of little faith, join the club, all right? Then there are people of great faith, and they do great things for God. It's incredible because they just have that great faith. Our faith can be strengthened, but it's strengthened through testing. I know we don't like to hear that, but faith, like any muscle, has to be put under tension. Faith grows as it's put under tension, as you're putting through what Scripture calls a test. And you're either in one of two places right now. Either God is testing your faith, or He's giving you a rest from that test. But He wants your faith to grow, and the only way to do that, He can't just say, faith, faith, faith. No, you're going to have to learn to trust Him. And you do that through testing. The test isn't to see whether you'd fail or not. God knows whether you're going to fail. The test is to strengthen that faith muscle. Okay? Faith is more than just believing. It's trusting. Okay? Faith is trusting. Which means it isn't just thinking God exists. It is trusting in God. Investing in Him. I trust. And here's what I'm going to trust. I trust that there is someone much greater than myself... And I trust that he is very, very, very good. I don't have all the answers. I get to say, I don't know. How can, how can Jonah survive in the belly of a fish? I don't know. Why does God say this? I don't know. I don't have the answer. I don't need to. Because he's so much smarter than me. I don't have to rely on my own strength and my own understanding. As a matter of fact, Scripture tells me not to do that. But what I do trust more than anything else is that he is very, very, very good. 
And because of that, I can trust him. Okay, so, so far that's faith. Now, here we go. Hope. If faith starts the journey, hope is what keeps me on the journey. All right? Faith starts me on the journey. Hope is what keeps me on the journey. Now, this is a problem because our English word hope doesn't mean what the Bible means by hope. For us, hope always has an element of it might not happen. That's why I hope for something because hope isn't a certainty. Hope is, you know, maybe it's going to happen. Maybe it won't. Let me show you this paragraph right here. I wrote this one for you, these sentences, so that you can see. If something, if we're certain something is going to happen, we don't say we hope, we say something like going to. If you really think something's going to happen, there's a slight chance that then you say, I, I plan on it. If you want something to happen, but there's a good chance it might not, you use the word hope. And if there's something that, that you want to have happen, but uh, you call that a wish. So take a look at this right here. It says, I am going to graduate next June. If someone comes to you and said, boy, I hope I graduate next June, what would that mean to you? It means there's a good chance you're not going to, right? But if you're going to, you say, I'm going to graduate. Then I plan to travel to Europe. There's a chance that might happen, but those are my plans. I hope to see the Pope. That's just a hope. And I wish somebody would pay my way. Now, there it is. Those are the four levels. Okay? That's why the word hope in English doesn't work for us. But it's just the only word that we have to translate. Hope. But that's not the idea behind biblical hope. Hope. Biblical hope doesn't have any idea of it might not happen. The Bi- in the Bible, the hope, there is no doubt at all. The word certain and the word hope are basically the same thing. This is hope in the Bible. Biblical hope is being certain of something that has not yet happened. Okay? When God says something's going to happen, and we just say, yes, that is the biblical idea behind hope. So when you read in the Bible the hope of our salvation, it doesn't mean cross my fingers because maybe I'm saved, maybe I'm not. Maybe Jesus will let me to heaven, maybe he won't. Hope of salvation just simply means that one day we will be in heaven, but it hasn't happened yet. Hope always has the idea of something in the future that I am trusting for and building on, and I know it's going to happen. This is what Scripture says. For in this hope, we were saved. See, for us, hope is like this. Fingers crossed. I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope I'm saved, I hope I'm saved, I hope I'm saved. That's not the biblical idea at all. Uncross your fingers, okay? Hope in the Bible means I know it. It is certain. It just hasn't happened yet. I have the hope of heaven. You know why I have the hope of heaven? Because God said we're going to be there, and I'm not in heaven yet. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. There it is. Hope just means it is coming. We know it's going to come. It is certain that it's going to come. I'm just waiting for it to come. Now, is that the English idea of hope? No. English idea of hope is that's not the biblical idea at all. No wonder we're a little confused about this word. 
No wonder we're a little confused whenever we talk about the hope of heaven, the hope of salvation, the hope of God, because this is hope for us. Biblical hope is when you uncross your fingers and you say, it's going to happen. It just hasn't happened yet. Now, why is hope so important? Well, because hope is what keeps me on the journey. Ever been on a race? How many people win that race? One. But the journey with Jesus is not like that. This is what happens with the journey of Jesus. Everyone who finishes the journey wins. Okay? Everyone who finishes the journey wins. All you have to do is stay on the journey. If you stay on the journey, you win. You don't have to be first or last. You win. It's just that simple. This is what Scripture says. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. The journey that we begin is the journey we stay on, and if you stay on it, you will win. And it doesn't matter how long it takes you. It doesn't matter how well you run your race. Some people are better at it than others. Some people have very short races. They come to the Lord just before they die. Some people have huge long races. Some people even, unfortunately, take a little break in the middle of the race. But if they finish the race, if they come back and finish, they will win. I want to tell you about a man who holds the record for the longest marathon in history. It took him 54 years, 8 months, 6 days, 8 hours, 32 minutes, and 20.3 seconds. His name is Sijo Kanakura. Now, why did, you know, a normal marathon in the Olympics was one in, what, two and a half hours, something like that. This guy took him 54 years, eight months, six days, eight hours, 32 minutes, and 20.3 seconds. Okay? Why? Well, because he actually started the marathon in the 1912 Olympic Games in Sweden. He was actually one of the uh, favorites. But halfway through the race, he got dehydrated, and he saw some people over there, because it was 1912, it was a little different than they run, and he saw some people were having a little party, and they were, had some things to drink. So he went over there, and he started to drink, and, but he stayed so long that he found himself in last place, and he was so embarrassed that he left the Olympic Games and didn't tell anybody. They couldn't find him. He was the missing athlete for 40 years, almost 50 years. He, he made his way back to Japan, where he started a life, And one reporter in the 60s heard about this missing athlete who just kind of disappeared off the face of the planet in 1912 and went looking for him and found him in Japan and alerted the Olympic officials and the people in Sweden. And in 1967, they invited him back to finish the race. So he went back to Sweden and he finished the race and it took him 54 years, 8 months, 6 days, 8 hours, 32 minutes, and 20.3 seconds. And that's the Olympic record for the longest marathon. But you know what? He finished. And that's the key. That's the point. It doesn't matter how long it takes you to finish this race. Just finish the race. And if you finish the race, you win. Which means this. The only way to lose is to give up. People who give up lose because you never finish the race. This is what Scripture says. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight without blemish 
and free from accusations. If! Now that's a huge word. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the whole pillar, if you finish the race, you get all this. But if you don't, you lose. Once we're enemies, now we're reconciled. Now we get to be presented holy. If we finish the race. You know why people give up? Same reason they died in that prison camp. You lose hope. You give up hope. Once you lose hope, once you stop building your life on the certain promises of God, once you lose hope, hope right now, hope for the future, hope for eternal life, you walk away from the journey. If you keep your hope, you will never, ever give up. You know why people get divorced? Because they lost hope for their marriage. Nobody gets married and says, you know, this will be for a couple years and I'm going to leave you. Everybody gets married and make these incredible promises. But at some point, you give up hope. And that's what people say to me. My marriage is And when it's no hope, well, the divorce lawyers aren't far behind. Can I change? Can, can, I, can I get on this diet and stay and lose some weight? Well, I, I lose hope that I can, and guess what? You give up. I'm, I'm on the path for recovery, and, and it's hard. And you say to yourself, you know, I don't think I'll ever make it. And you give up hope, and you go right back to all of your addictions. Boy, when you hold hope, it gets you through anything. That's why God says one of the greatest things on this planet right now, the first one is faith because that starts your journey, but the second thing is hope. If you have hope, if you have hope for the future, if you have hope for what God is going to do, you stay on that journey. And if you stay on that journey, you will win. Some people will run across that finish line. Some people will stumble across that finish line. Some people will crawl across that finish line. It doesn't matter how you get across that finish line. Just don't give up. And the best way to not give up is don't lose what? Hope. Because hope is being certain that what God has promised is going to happen. It just hasn't happened yet. Now, God has given us several things to help build that hope. Ready? How about this? First of all, I have hope because of what God has done. Okay? God has done incredible things where they're recorded in the Bible. Do you know one of the reasons that they're recorded in the Bible is for you and me? so that we can remember that God can do incredible things. Take a look at this passage. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragement of scriptures, we might have what? Hope. There it is. What are you going through right now? A tough time, a good time, whatever it is? Go to the Old Testament, go to the Bible, go to the New Testament as well, and you will probably find somebody who's been going through pretty much the same thing now, of course, the words may change, they didn't have quite the same technology, but most of the struggles we have as human beings 
people have had from the very beginning. You can go back and find it and see what God did. And if God is going to work in their life, he's going to work in your life, unless you believe that you're the first person that God's going to fail with, that God has been faithful in everything except you, and you are number one, and you are gonna, he's going to fail with you. You know what? That's not true at all. And the Bible is there to tell us God is faithful. He was faithful to the Jews. He's faithful to the Israelites. He's faithful to all the people who walk with him. And that gives us hope. God will not fail. How does God work with his people? He's never failed. No matter what you're going through, somewhere in the Bible, someone's going through something similar. Read about it. Find it. And remind yourself that God will not fail. He is faithful and he will not let us down. Here's another reason, though, that we have hope. I have hope because I know the end of the story. It'd be one thing if we came in the middle of this whole thing, but you know what? I've, I've read the back of the book. Are you ready? We win. It's pretty simple. I know how this whole thing comes out. I'm not much of a uh, um, shoot 'em up bang bang kind of guy when it comes to movies, things like that. I've never seen a Mad Max or a, some of the other ones. I just, that's just not my thing. There's only one series that's kind of along those lines that I've enjoyed, and that was the Bourne series. Remember the Bourne identity and the Bourne and all that other stuff? For whatever reason, I've, I really enjoyed those movies. I remember when I, I saw the first movie, uh, and I thought it was really good. You know, Matt Damon is doing all of this stuff, and that was kind of cool. And at the very end, there's this little, he has to attack CIA headquarters, and, and they set it up at the very end as, as an assassin is coming out to kill somebody, and, and, and you wonder, is it, is it going to be Matt Damon? Does he die right there? Now, I have to tell you that I wasn't in suspense. You know why? I read the book. In fact, I read all three Bourne books. It's a trilogy. He can't die in the first movie. They've got to make two more. So I w- didn't lose hope. I didn't say, oh, is Matt going to die? Is Bourne going to be shot? Of course not. I read the book, and I know it was a good movie. I enjoyed it. But not once did I ever think that Jason Bourne, Matt Damon, was going to die in that movie because I knew the truth. You understand? God has told us the ending as well. Here it is. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is the book of the Revelation, chapter 21. For the first earth and the first heaven had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and I will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Let's move on to the next one. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things had passed away. I read to the back of the book. We win. I've already read to the back of the book. This evil world that's so broken, everything in this world is broken. Everything in this world is broken from the weather to humanity to all of nature. It's all broken. Nothing works the way it's supposed to work. All of that one day will be recreated and redone over. God created the first earth and the the garden and it was perfect and wonderful and everything was good and then we got involved and messed it all up and God said, well, don't worry about it. I'm not even going to fix the world you're in right now. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to recreate it. I'm going to change it. I'm going to bring you a brand new one. And when I do, the things that were possible in the old one aren't even possible. You won't even be able to mourn or to cry. I'll take all of that away from you forever and ever and ever. 
I've read the back of the book. And we win. But there's another reason, one final reason that we have hope, and it's because of this, because God's promised hope. He's promised it. He's promised all these things to us. By the way, don't ever get caught up in that, uh, in that nonsensical thing, you know, can, can God do everything? And you say, yes, God can do everything, because if you said that, you just blew it. It's not true. God can't do everything. Did you know that? So if somebody ever says, can God do everything? Your answer is, absolutely not. They'll be a little shocked at that because they think they got you. And then they'll say something stupid like, well, can he make a rock that's too big for him to pick up? Well, those little, and I just look at them and say, why would he want to? If you can tell me why he would want to, I'll tell you whether he can pick up a rock, um, make a rock that's too big for him to pick up. But there are some things God can't do. What's one of the things that God cannot do? He can't do it. It's not possible. What is it? Lie. Take a look at this. God can't break his word. And because his word cannot change, the promise is likewise unchangeable. We who have run for our very lives to God have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. God cannot lie. It's not possible. It's not just a choice he makes. You and I, we can choose to lie or not. God can't even make the choice. He can't do it according to his own word, which means if he makes a promise, you can trust that promise. You hold on with both hands and you don't let go because God has spoken and that's it. When God made that promise about the book of the Revelation in Revelation chapter 21, that's it. It's going to happen. It hasn't happened yet. That's why we're still here. But he will. And so I can say, I hope for the recreation of the world, not in the human English, cross my fingers, hope it's going to happen, but in the biblical hope that says it is certainly going to happen. It just hasn't happened yet. Now, we get to that how does this really affect me? Okay, this hope, it keeps me on that journey without a doubt. But remember that these words, faith, hope, and love, they define us. They define who we are. So it goes this way. How does it affect the way I live? First of all, like this. Because I have hope in God, I am certain that, ready? My future will be better than my present. God has promised me that my future is always going to be better than my present. And some of you say, boy, that's pretty good because my present isn't bad. Well, guess what? It's even going to be better in the future. Some of you are hurting right now. And you're so caught up in the present and the pain of the moment. This is the Word of God. His promise. The hope that we have. We live even through the pain because we are certain. We have biblical hope that the future will be better than the present. We looked at this passage last week from 2 Corinthians. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. It doesn't matter what you're going through for the future. Oh, it matters to you right now. I know it does. As I told you last week, my life at the moment isn't all that bad. I don't really think I have any struggles. I told you about my car that was broken. Well, guess what? It's fixed. Okay. When the biggest problem you have in your life is the fact that your alternator went out, you're doing pretty well. And that's where I am at the moment. 
But that's not where I've always been. It may not be where I'll be next week. I don't know. Because I really don't know what's going to happen this week. But I do know this. God has made a promise that my future is better than my present. That's why I hold on. That's why we live the way we live. Okay, things are tough right now, but they're going to get better. Things are hard right now, but there is a better future for me. Whether that future is here on this planet or that future is some other place, there is a better future for me. I know that there is something better. That's how I live my life, and that's why I do not give up. Because if I give up, I never get that better. I never get that better side at all. Because I walked away from the journey, and if you walk away from the journey, you lose. But another reason, and another way this really affects me, is simply this. My struggles will not defeat me. I know they won't. They won't. My struggles are not going to defeat me. I know that my future is better than my present and I will overcome my struggles. Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. Remember that Stockdale principle? Remember what it was? Two things. I'm going to get through it, but it's going to be bad till I do. Those are just the realities of life. Facing the future with that certainty, and then at the same time, knowing that it's going to be rough until you get there. My struggles will not defeat me. Because I know that Jesus, while he's promised me, I will have those struggles... He's also said, but you know what? I've already overcome them. Whatever you're going through, I've already beaten it. You'll make it. You'll get through it. This is why Paul, at the very end of his life, wrote this from 2 Timothy. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Paul says, look, I made it. Remember all those struggles I told you about that I used to have? And he's written about them in some of his earlier letters. He said, they're all behind me now. It's all done. I made it. And there's only one thing left for me, and that is to leave this world behind and to receive everything that my Father has promised. My struggles will not defeat me and then finally one final thing here this is another way that that hope defines how i live it defines how i live because i know that my future is going to be better than my present and i trust in that that's why i can endure my present whatever it is and my struggles will not defeat me i will overcome those things because jesus has already overcome them and i will work with him and walk with him and he will help me but finally there's this there's this, no one is beyond redemption. I'm not certain that God's people have always lived this way. There are times we look at other individuals, people that we've met, family members, others that have said, you know, that person's beyond help. You ever given up on somebody? Given up on an individual because... Well, they're just beyond hope. Given up in a situation, given up on the situation within the world. Christians don't give up. 
Christ followers don't give up. We don't. Do you know why? Because this is what Scripture says. Now, either you believe that or not. Could you read that with me? For nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible. Read that one more time. For nothing is impossible with God. Now let's read it like we really mean it, shall we? One more time. For nothing is impossible with God. What are you facing and who are you dealing with? Who are the people within your life that have let you down to the point where you think they're beyond redemption? Who are the people who have stabbed you in the back and have hurt you? Who are the people who have walked away from you? Who are the people that you meet on the street corners and other places that you look at them and go, man, this is horrible. What are they doing? How come they live that way? You've given up on them. Nothing is impossible with God. There was hope for me. When I started a walk with God, I was going in a direction that would have eventually just killed me. And I don't mean just my soul, I mean killed me physically. Really beginning to dapple in the drug scene and that sort of thing that was so prevalent in the right around 1970, late 60s and early 70s. And I, I can imagine that my parents must have looked at what I was going through and, and wondered if there was any hope for me. I told you one other time that in 1978, all the statute of limitations ran out on all the things I'd done, and I was really happy. There was every reason to have me arrested, thrown in jail. When I walked into the, uh, that little Nazarene church the first Sunday night that Linda, my girlfriend at the time, my wife now, they'd invited me to go to a service summer of, what, 1970. And I had to turn my shirt around because there was a cigarette hole here. And so I turned it around so it would be in the back. And uh, believe it or not, I, don't know, I had an afro. Trust me, I did. Not because I wanted one, but because that's all my hair would ever do. Once my hair got long, it was a natural afro. There was nothing else to be done with it. And I walked in that church. And there was a man in that church who uh, told me later on, the Sunday that I left to go into ministry, he pulled me aside and said, I remember the first night you walked in, and I remember Linda bringing you in, and I looked at you, and I thought, what a loser Linda has chosen for herself. Now, you know what? It's okay to think that. But this man never gave up hope. He, because he was right. I was a loser. That was an accurate assessment of that current reality. I was a loser. And I was headed places that would have eventually taken my freedom and my life. But the man never gave up hope. In fact, he was one of the youth workers and one of the men who was instrumental in bringing me to the Lord Jesus Christ. He had an accurate assessment, but he did not give up hope. And because he didn't, and because other people, my in-laws and other friends and neighbors within that church, never gave up hope, one day I gave my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And my life was completely changed. 
And I've been able to preach the Word on so many continents to so many people and do my very best to bring hope to you all because people in that little bitty church, Valley Center Church of the Nazarene, in San Dimas, California, didn't give up hope because they knew the guy's a loser. But nothing is impossible with God. Read this with me. With God, there is no such thing as no hope. One more time. With God, there is no such thing as no hope. We as Christ followers should be the most positive people out there. When we meet individuals, even if they're currently a loser, we never give up not for our relationships, our friendships, finances, for our own change, for our kids, for our parents, for our neighbors, for that distant cousin you really don't like very much because they're just such a jerk. We don't give up hope because with God, all things are possible. Father, We struggle here in, in this world because our word hope doesn't mean your word hope. We, we have hope and we cross our fingers. That's what hope means. And Father, that's not what you mean by hope. So we need to get that whole idea out of our mind and, and understand that that hope is that certainty. Father, we're certain of your promises. You've made the promises. You can't lie. There's a better world coming for us. There's a better future coming for us. But Father, there is hope right now, not just in the future, but right now for every single human being. And you've given us the responsibility to share that hope. People can change. People can come to know you. You can make a difference in their lives. No one is beyond redemption if they're walking this planet. And Father, with that hope, with the hope that you give us, keep us on that journey. Because if we stay on the journey, Father, we know this, we're going to win.